Welcome to the Frank's Percussion Podcast. I'm Frank. It's been a joy working with Alex Edge for about the last five years. And today we got to sit down to record a wonderful conversation. Over the years, I realized that the success of a party, and I guess maybe (laughs) this goes back to what makes a great party, but the comfort of the people you're working with is super important. Alex shares some thoughts and feelings about being in the zone, his formative experiences at New York City clubs, the Ukraine, his top five travel tips for destination wedding gigs, good personhood, incorporating musicianship into DJing, and so much more. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. Yo, what's up? DJ Alex Edge, thank you so much for being here, for doing this with me. You're welcome. I'm really excited. I'm really happy. The last interview I did was with Alex Blade, and we talked on there about how much we love you and, oh. and Irina and the community in here. You know. Thank you. Yeah. So we're here at the WeWork office, this beautiful WeWork office in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. You're not supposed to give out the location. Well, we're here for right now. <laughs> I can, I can cut that out if you want. <laughs> no, leave it in, leave it. You've been working out of here for a while, you were telling me, but I'm more interested in your work as a DJ and like collaborator. And yeah. how long have you been DJing? When did you start? I started DJing when I was 15 years old, which was like 1996. 96. And professionally, I started DJing the year I graduated college, which was 2005. Okay. So it's been almost 20 years that I've been doing this full time every weekend. Wow. I just hit about 20, 21 years of playing drums total. Wow. You've been working full time for 20 years. Yeah. DJing. Where'd you go to school? High school or college? Both. Uh, High school, I went to FDR High School in Brooklyn, and college, I went to Baruch College in Manhattan. Oh, Baruch. Yeah. Okay, cool. I had a friend who went to the business school. What'd you do at Baruch? I did marketing, but it was supposed to be like marketing and music business something, but I became a DJ. (laughs) All right. Right. Yeah. How did you start DJing? It was, I guess, like a hobby, but I always looked at it as something super serious. So even when I was 15, I was like, that's going to be the thing, like, right? Like the one thing that I do. And I started DJing just doing like private events and being a guest, I guess, at a Sweet 16 made me think like, wow, that guy's pretty terrible. I could definitely do that better. <laughs> But then the first time you DJ in front of people, you quickly realize that it's way harder than it looks. Yeah. Was that your your first job where you're like, oh no, this is a wreck? I think like my first paying gig, I opened the Yellow Pages and called a bunch of restaurants. And one of them was like, yeah, yeah, we need a DJ. And like, just come and like start tonight. Which just sounds crazy, right? Like, just sounds insane. That is crazy. And it paid like 60 bucks. 
I think I was like 16. <laughs> and I might have been DJing in like my friend's, I don't know, garage for like six months. But then like, yeah, we did that gig and you quickly realized that like, wow, this is super hard. Yeah. I mean, garage, you know, like it, I'm just likening it to practicing drums on my own. Yeah. And then going out and I have a it's gig. Totally different, right? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> But you must have been like the coolest kid in Brooklyn. Where, um, where was that gig? Where was the restaurant? It was in Bay Ridge. And yeah, like you kind of have to wonder, like this person, the guy that owned the restaurant, like gave us a chance without really knowing if we were any good or not. But we, I guess, pretend that we were. I don't know. It was me and a friend of mine. And we did that gig together for a while. But he got like way better quickly. And I was terrible for like much longer. Who was your friend? My friend Danny. Okay. He's a medicine, so he doesn't DJ. No, okay. Is he, he's a doctor now? He is a physician assistant, but I think he's in like management now. Wow. Cool. Yeah. It, don't you hate that? No, <laughs> no. I think he was on the right super, path, but he was very talented. Super like, talented. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And he could have been, yeah. He was way better than me. It took me years to like, get better i think that just because i'm like pretty terrible initially at most everything and like when i practice a lot then i'll get like really good and i'll like sur surpass people that have like the more natural ability that's interesting yeah you're terrible at everything not everything but like initially i think everyone's kind of terrible at it you know initially at a lot of things i don't think i am no you were good on drums from the from the jump no 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 no, no. <laughs> but there are some things that i there are some things i i maybe i'm just being a bit like contrarian i'm just but there i feel like when i get into some things i have a knack for some things to start in particular anything to do where i can like hone some technique i'm trying to think of what it was recently that I was doing a, a game I was playing with some friends, but anything that's technique and technically oriented. Yeah. I do feel like I pick up that fast, mm. but I'm not saying I'm good at everything I do, you know? Yeah. The, and, and the talent, you know, is in like capacity to work hard and try hard at something and find what you want to do and work on that. I mean, you've clearly I think done that's that. one part of it. Yeah. I, I, I think at the time I didn't realize like what the talent part of it was, but I think for me it was observing the crowd and knowing where to like, where to go with it. And I feel like I've always had that ability where like technically I wasn't able to like translate it to like blend the tracks together. When I first started, I mean. Okay. Not last week. Last week I did a pretty good job. <laughs> um, where were you last week? Bathtub Gin. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. yeah. So, Alex, you are a DJ your house at Bathtub Gin like every Friday through like the winter? Uh, no, all year. All year round. Yeah. Okay. But you do Well, so you get uh, plenty of Friday gigs on your own. Yeah. A lot of the weddings you do in the like Ukrainian scene, the Eastern European scene, right? Like t tend to be Jewish, so they wouldn't get married on a Friday. Typically not. Yeah. But you got a lot of Italian weddings too. We've played all kinds. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to get back though to you felt like 
you did have a knack for reading the room? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How? Think like a lot of ideas, they kind of form in your head. And I was always really just sort of living in my head, right? Like if that makes sense, kind of imagining like, oh, I would play this song here. Even before I started DJing in front of people, I would be like, oh, I would play that like that and maybe play another song with that. And when I first started going to like any sort of parties, I would sort of watch the room and be like, well, that, that didn't work. And <laughs> and kind of like, obviously, I got better at it throughout the years where I could like feel the pulse of a room much easier now. But I always felt that for whatever reason, I was able to know what the person was feeling. Like if they were upset, like that that song wasn't for them, I would is able to kind of like pick up on that energy. When you say the person... The dancer, whoever. Yeah. Okay. So like you're kind of sampling a few people. Do you, you zoom in on some people and you check out their groove? Like I'd imagine whoever's kind of dancing the wildest catches your attention or are you looking at the people that might not be really vibing right now? Yeah. I'm wondering how do I get them going? Because this does, um, I, I, wa I wanted to be a little more pointed. I had written a question down like, yeah. what makes a good party to you? Or like, yeah. what makes you good at what you're doing? And this is, we're, we're talking about it right out of the gate. This, yeah. this <laughs> is awesome. Well, I think, are you a fan of people watching? I would say so, although not an avid fan. No, I love people watching. And I think that I pick up on like small movements in a room. Where like I could kind of see like, oh, that guy's not, doesn't like what I'm doing. Or like I could tell the other guy, even though maybe he's not dancing, like I could tell that he's enjoying it. And maybe over time I got even better, like reading these cues, so to say. But I always felt like I I didn't have to learn that, you know? I had to learn how to like match tempos of songs and like understand like that a certain song goes better with another song. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I never felt like I had to learn someone's reaction to a song. I always felt like I knew if they liked it or they didn't. You're good at reading people. Yeah. Okay. You had said something before about kind of also placing your finger about on where a song should fit. Yeah. It, it was kind of cinematic the way you were saying it, or it was kind of like uh, directorial the way <laughs> yeah. you were saying it. And then you also said uh, something about imagining. And it does strike me that you are a very imaginative person. Yes. In the way, like, <laughs> just in the way you communicate. I get the sense that you do have some vision for things, DJing and otherwise. Yeah. I think that I was that way since I was a kid. And I feel like that's just kind of like, you're either bored with that or you're not, right? Like, I watch my son play and imagining, like, the pillow is like a shield and something else is a weapon, right? I mean, anything could be a weapon in the kid's hands, but, like, and I watch him and I know that he's for sure born with that. It, like, being able to, like, Im imagine things that are not necessarily there, right? Right. Um, and I always felt like I just had that ability to like picture what a song would sound like in a given setting 
but I don't even have to be there. Like I could just kind of like take my mind there and like, yeah, that disco song would like totally work <laughs> at like 830. <laughs> <laughs> and like the red dress is going to have a martini in her hand and like she'll be there with a blue yeah. suit. And, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know how deep it goes for you, but so, um, so then I, to be a little more pointed, like, and back to that question I was talking about, what makes a great party for you? I think when I don't have to think what the next song is, like, when I immediately know, like, in my head, and like, I just kind of like, you know, it's like weird. It's almost like an out of body experience, like, where, and I'm sure as a musician, you could kind of, being in the zone. Agree, yeah. We're Flow like, state. You're like playing, you're not really sure how you're thinking of the next fill or the next, you know, melody line that just you're adding. in time going. It just, it yeah. just comes, right? So it's kind of like the same thing, like, and more often than not, that happens with like less interruptions where you're able to connect with people for a longer period of time. And then you're able to kind of just go to a place where you're not even thinking. You're just kind of like songs are like flowing out of you, right? Like I, I usually like to think like one or two songs ahead, right? But like at a good party, you don't have to do that. You already kind of know like I'm going to do this next. And like you're you're already doing it. Well, you got to be on the way as you yeah. pull it up, right? But it's like, I don't know how it works. Yeah, yeah. No, like you have to like type the song into yeah, yeah. the computer, right? But like, it just happens so quickly at a good party where it just kind of like vibes. Like, I'm not like, wow, I want to play. So that's, I mean, it's similar to, because you're very easy for me to play with. Yeah. You know, it's it, like exceptionally easy for me to play with. Maybe that's because we work well together. Also, that's because you're in a flow state. I'm in a flow state. Yeah. And I still wonder, like, that doesn't always happen. No. You know? So to me, it's like, how do we make that happen as much as possible whenever I'm working? And uh, that's <laughs> cool to hear, though. Like, it's because you're vibing up there. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, you can't, you can't possibly say that, like, no, let me rephrase that. Our standards are way different. Like, the way we judge ourselves. Yeah. Our standards are different from a person attending a party absolutely 100 percent. so what may seem like a seven to us is definitely like a nine to someone else <laughs> and, high five yeah <laughs> you know because we're really like understanding every piece of music that we're putting out there mm -hmm. and you're like oh man that sucked that didn't work but people don't feel that way yes so when the gig's over, you're really like overanalyzing, but like, yeah, it was a great party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that we obviously like hold ourselves to like a higher standard, but we also like overanalyze, like at least for like the time being, I feel like we try to move on to the next gig, like in our heads as soon as possible. But I think that we'll analyze immediately after. Like, if you have a crap gig. Yeah, just like, oh, I could have done that better. Man, not a crab gig, but like if you could have done something better, you're kind of like, oh, I could have done that better. Right. You know, and then next time, hopefully we do, right? Right. <laughs> two two ways in, in moving through things. So like the time goes, the time moves when yeah. we're playing music. 
And, you know, you learn quickly. If you stop, you've done it wrong. You make a mistake, you keep going. Right? Yeah. Like, so there's like a microcosm of that as we're playing. And because like you say, 99 times out of 100, nobody notices yeah. a mistake that you think is a mistake. It's just, oh, it's, it's just what happened. Right. And, but then, yeah, vibe, feeling. I feel like, you know, just as it, time goes by, I'm playing better and better gigs. It's not necessarily the way I'm playing the party, but like kind of like logistically things that kind of irritate me that would make me have not a good party. If I'm not feeling good about one thing or another, that's when I, you know, if I'm grumbling about equipment or the yeah. way it got set up. But anyway. But it's comfort level, I guess, right? Like yeah. You do this professionally, right? You're not a hobbyist. Right. You're a pro. So I think that you expect a certain kind of vibe for yourself. Not vibe. Like, I guess setup is the right word. And that does affect your performance. But like you said, you, over time, you things improve logistically, right? Like. I'm not using the same speakers that I was 10 years ago. So I think that that goes for every pro that we work with that understands that this is their craft and they use the best equipment out there because it affects their performance. What I was just trying to say, you said a thousand <laughs> times better. That's exact. Thank you for taking the words out of my mouth. That was beautiful, Alex. Now, there are a few things... That I know if I do my party tricks, that everybody will freak out. Right. Like, get up on the chair, which is something that I learned from the Alex Irina crew. Yeah. I think Irina invented that. I think she did. She'll take credit for it, for sure. She can have credit. <laughs> the jackets and the glasses. I blow the whistle. Yeah. If I can start a conga line and have it flow... Yeah. And if, uh, and like the bride and groom on the drums at, you know, a wedding party or the, the birthday boy or girl or whoever it is, you know, whoever we're celebrating. And if I can hit those marks, I know I've done. And then also if I break a sweat when I'm working the floor right. or even just behind my rig, do you have anything like that? That I know DJ? for a fact will yeah. get the party started. Key points for your party objectives um, that you hit. You got to play some ABBA. For real? <laughs> Dancing Queen? I really feel like that can't miss. These days it made a comeback, Dancing Queen, right? I used yeah. to hate that song. I have to I have to say there was like two bands that I, in my younger years, I just didn't understand. ABBA and the Beatles. I was not a fan and like I did, I just didn't get, but I wasn't very like musically educated I feel like I had to learn like music theory and just like music in general by talking to musicians and like learning myself. And over time, I was like, wow, this is, this is like genius level music, both ABBA and the Beatles, where I feel like in my younger years, I didn't really appreciate it as much. But I feel like if I'm able to make songs quicker, but still keep it cohesive. I feel like it adds to the energy versus like playing the entire song, which I obviously never do. But I find if I'm able to like quickly transition from songs without it sounding annoying, oh, I can right. keep the energy. I could take the energy to like 
the next level that you, way. You mean the time where you're going from one song to the next yeah. is short. And the song itself, like how long I'm keeping the song on. Like a quick mix? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I find that that gets people excited more versus kind of like, oh, here's two and a half minutes of one song and then two minutes of another song. And then it kind of just feels like, yeah, it's like a nice party where everyone kind of like sways back and forth. But if you're really kind of going for it, right? Like you're really trying to make songs in and out of songs quick. Okay. Yeah. So that and ABBA, guaranteed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and don't forget, you have to also have Frank on the gig. Yeah. You know, and then you've hit your mark. Yeah. Thank thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So you mentioned you started DJing with your friend Danny, like in his garage? No, it was a friend, another friend's garage. But for some reason, it was like me and Danny for a while after. And you just went to the other friend's garage? And Was he there? I think eventually we just, it was like his uncle's equipment. And for some reason, I think eventually just me and Danny bought equipment. I'm not sure why. Like okay. we bought our own equipment and like we would either practice at his house or my house. I, I don't really remember. I think it was in my house, the equipment. What was practice like for um, two DJs? Just like mixing songs. And showing each other. Kind yeah. Of, okay. I mean, back in those days, I think we were still using vinyl. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy, right? Like bringing a crate of vinyl records to... A wedding sounds insane. Did you ever wedding gig vinyl? At that venue where we, the first venue where we got the gig, like, so we stayed as like house DJs there. That's amazing. You killed, you, you, you knocked your first gig out of the park. You got the callback. No, no, we were terrible, but we got the callback. Okay. What (laughs) place was it? It was called Top of the Crescent. Top of the Crescent. Yeah. And, and the, yeah, it was like, from what I understand, it was like a famous members-only club in the 60s. And then it like transitioned into a catering hall. And it was, it has this like crazy view of like all of New York. Basically. From down in Bay Ridge? Yeah, but it was like on a rooftop. Cool. And then it had like this like private lounge on the middle of the room. It was, it was like a pretty cool venue, but yeah, they had equipment there. And they had some records there. And then we would like buy records and like keep some of them there. So, yeah. And we, I'm assuming we did some weddings. Yeah. Yeah. I think we did some weddings on vinyl. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still have a lot of those vinyls? Cause I know you like to listen to records as well. Yeah. I kept a whole bunch. I kept some in storage, some in my mom's house. (laughs) I got rid of a bunch, but like some of them I kept. And then like my favorite ones I keep at my house. Okay. Yeah. You see yourself doing any vinyl in the future? There are a few niche kind of spots that'll like spin vinyl and is that your thing or you just Um, rather play the record? I think in my head, I would be a lot better on vinyl than I really am. Like, I I don't think I would be that good anymore. Oh, okay. Because it's like a whole other skill level. Physical, changing Uh, things, flipping through the thing. Just kind of like, really feeling the music and like right when you're mixing on a computer you kind of see the the waveform what the song looks like sonically 
And I feel like we've been so used to mixing that way for so long where on vinyl, you don't see that at all. And like the dudes that mix only vinyl, I feel like they're like echelon higher level of DJs than we are. Who are some of those dudes? There's a guy named Simon who works at a record shop that we go to. And I feel like he's on like Mount Everest and we're like down here in the desert. Simon at what record shop? A A1 Records. A1 Records. We'll try and shout him out and yeah. find him. Yeah. You know his He's incredible. Name? He's incredible? Yeah. Yeah. And like uh, there's other guys. Remember the spot we went to for my birthday nowadays in Ridgewood? Oh, yeah. So. That was a great spot. Yeah. Like those dudes are playing like 90% vinyl. That was vinyl that day? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. That's even cooler. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like yeah. those guys are like really, I, I just feel like you're so much more connected to the music where you know what the entire song sounds like in your head, right? And you're like totally aware of like every, and like obviously we're aware of all the songs we play all the time, but I feel like they're playing like a lot of new stuff and stuff people don't know. A lot of gems. And like all on vinyl and they're like, they know all of it, right? Which is like, just seems next level to me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what was the last gig you, you mixed on vinyl? What was that one you were talking about? It was like my cousin who doesn't even live in New York anymore, but he owned a restaurant and I lived across the street and he was like, Hey, do you want to do some events now? But before I did weddings full time, I did like nightlife promoting and nightlife DJing. And a guy that I knew who's also like a really good house, deep house, vinyl only DJ was like, oh, let's maybe do like a night together. And I was like, oh, it would be cool if we do all vinyl. Um, very stressful to DJ two hours on vinyl. I don't know. Like you have to do it all the time, right? Like just like anything. So that was the last gig. And like, when was that? And who was the guy? Alex Kaufman. Alex Kaufman. He's like a local legend. Okay. He's a really good DJ. But yeah. And that was the last time I went, was it? I was still living in Sheepshead Bay. So it had to be like at least six, seven years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's relatively recent. Consider, but it was cool. Consider the two years of gap that we had for like COVID. I mean, sure. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so that's like three or four years yeah. ago. I should have played some vinyl during that time, huh? You mean like, like DJing on vinyl? Oh yeah, yeah, for some live streams or something. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah, you know. But yeah, that was the last gig. I loved it. You know, like you really do feel connected okay. to the music. I, I see the novelty, and I don't want to say the novelty that kind of diminishes it. Well, it's full analog. Uh, yeah, it's a but physical it's, thing. Moving. It's cool. Yeah, it, it, is it cool. really is cool. Like, and the way it sounds, like they inexplicably for a restaurant of like. A tiny size they had a massive sound system with like two humongous subwoofers and i just remember like putting the needle on the vinyl and the low end just like rumbling in the best way possible out of these subs huh and like thinking like oh my god like this is like you feel that in your chest you work with a lot of musicians yes who are some of your people that you that you book? Well, Alex Blade, right? You interviewed him. He's yeah. our he's a sax extraordinaire. Mm -hmm. Irina, obviously Irina. someone we work with. 
She's a great vocalist. And I feel like I met a whole bunch of people through one of them, right? Like I've met a lot of horn players through Alex. I met a bunch of singers through Irina. I feel like the people they choose to work with are all great, right? Because they choose to work with only like high caliber individuals. So I was lucky to be like in the vicinity of them too, to be exposed to like all the best of the best. And not just people that like play the right notes when they need to be played. Like they also have a like great personality. So they have like kind of like the two best of both worlds. That reminds me, I was thinking on the way over here about that post you shared with a bunch of us yeah about like your kind of three tenets for doing well in this business or any business one <laughs> of them was show up early prepared maybe and don't be a dick I yeah think i think that was one of them what was the third one work hard or something i think it was i think it was prepare okay like in a sense where like you know the gig in advance you know what what what's needed of you for it, right? And I feel like we do quite a bit of that where, like, we'll talk about it in advance, like, oh, we need to do this. This client likes that. Let's let's do that at some point. So we're aware of all these things before getting to the gig, and I feel like it makes our job more seamless because it's already kind of, like, in our heads. Like, we don't have to, like, figure it out at the gig. Like, all the stuff we need to know is we've discussed it. the Alex Blade podcast, we yeah. also talked about, we, we each had Mexico trips with you this year, last year. Yeah. And we were just so happy about it. We were talking about how do we do this all the time? Yeah. And then we got to talking how you seem to have all of the travel know-hows. And I have this one written down. <laughs> how about, can you give us Alex Edge's top three travel do's and don'ts? Okay. Um, maybe top five whatever you know no no top three is fine i feel like top five is too many i traveled with alex on like a super early flight yes and it was so important that we at least get like an hour of sleep because we had the uh, we had a gig that day right and i told him that we need to upgrade our boarding group so we can get on the plane faster and put our bags in the overhead bins because if you're in the later groups, you might not have access to the bins. So we got a window seat and an earlier group so you're able to get some rest and also make sure your bag is like right where you need it to be because if you're in the later groups, the, you don't have, they don't have enough space for uh, the, the bags. Don't ch try not to check luggage, but I know that's like, you know, you're playing drums and you got a djembe, you got to check that. But I try not to check luggage. That's like my kind of biggest one because I feel like it slows me down, like boarding and then leaving the airport, which you're trying to just to get to the venue. 
And the third one is get TSA pre-check. Yeah. You're big on that, aren't you? Yeah. It's like a hundred bucks, five years, and it's literally the best money I ever spent. Okay. Yeah. And then I, I have a fourth one for dues. Yeah. And and Alex had mentioned how you always have to get the earliest possible flight. Oh, yeah. That's a big one. Yes. Damn. Can't believe I forgot that. <laughs> I mean, you were kind of on it that you said we were there super early. We had to get some sleep. Yeah. But why Why is that for the people at home I find, or in their cars yeah. listening? You know, <laughs> I find that the later the flight, the more risk you take of that flight being delayed or canceled. I find that the earlier flights don't get delayed or canceled because they usually go to multiple places in in one day, right? Like the plane goes from like Cancun and then from Cancun it goes to like Dallas, from Dallas it goes to Chicago. So I find if you're on the early flight, like they need to get that plane somewhere. So they're not going to like mess up their entire day by delaying the first flight. So they try to like have the first, I think, I don't know, maybe I'm just imagining it all, but I find I've almost never had a delayed flight when I took the early flight. Maybe also the morning crew takes a little more initiative. <laughs> Maybe the early birds are getting the worm, you know, yeah, and I, they they know if they <laughs> if they knock it out of the park, they can go home early that day. I, I yeah, I, I it's probably all in my head, but <laughs> I I I just had less issues getting on an earlier flight where other people that I know prefer to take the later flight, and I feel like they have issues all the time. A little superstition, but it works for you. Yeah. You carry a rabbit's foot when you travel? No. Okay. No. <laughs> but yeah, me and Alex were going to go on like a 10 a.m. flight and then like just kind of hoof it right to the gig. And then I was like, hey, man, let's just take like the 6 a.m. flight and like take our time getting to the gig and like check in, try to get some rest and then not be delayed. And yeah, it kind of like, it worked out. Like, I mean, it didn't work out for Alex because he had like two hours of sleep. So he was super tired, but he was doing something the day before. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So was I, but for some reason he like went to bed like way later than me. <laughs> okay. What about don'ts? Hmm. Oh, I got a good one. So especially for work, but like in general, like try not to have a layover, like try to travel, try to fly nonstop. I know sometimes it's easier said than done, right? Like if you're flying somewhere, but I just find that like a, a layover flight just adds to all kinds of issues, especially if you're traveling for work and you actually need to be somewhere, right? Like when you're on vacation, like you want to be there, right? But like, it's not catastrophic if you're like a day later, if you arrive a day later, but if you're going for work, like it's kind of critical that you need to be where, where you're supposed to be. For the birds, the layover. I mean, not a fan. No, you have pre-check. You not don't do fan. layovers. <laughs> I not a fan. I I had a wedding in Italy, and I think initially the client suggested that I have a layover in London, and I was like, "Yeah, I'd rather not do that. I'd rather like take the train in Italy." But, like, I'm already there, right? Like, I'm in the country where if you're, like, in London and you're kind of stuck there, 
I just find that like layovers, like, yeah, like opening up a can of worms. <laughs> So this is good, and I should just fill people in. Like you had mentioned to me, you you've done a ton of DJ traveling. I think at the time, you you threw like a, a the number sixty out there for like destination gigs. Yeah, I feel like I do less of them now, which I don't mind so much. It's harder for me to travel logistically, having kids. Ah, so you I have do have to have a family. You do be having a family. Yeah. And I have to kind of like logistically plan ahead a lot of steps to do a destination wedding. But that's not why I feel like I'm booked more in advance locally. So I'm not as available as I would be for like destination weddings. Okay. So yeah, like I do a, I do a bunch. Like I do like five a year. Okay. Yeah. Not, not too many. Do you ever, have you ever been able to bring... The wife and kids? I've tried multiple times and for some reason like it never worked out logistically. But next week I'm finally gonna get to bring them on a gig. Oh no kidding. Yeah. Where are you going? Mexico. <laughs> yeah, another like Cancun? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I hope you have such a great trip. Yeah. How long are you staying? Five days. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's gonna be Yeah, I'm excited. It's gonna be nice. Yeah, I've always there. like in my head, I'm like, Yeah, yeah. great, my family will come too. But it's it you know it's work so you're kind of just like in your head thinking of work like i had a wedding in montauk right which is not not a destination but i took the family there for like a few extra days but like in my head i'm like here for work so i feel like i'm not fully present uh-huh. as i should be because i'm thinking of work i'm like oh what time am i gonna get there it's three o'clock i gotta be there in 30 minutes <laughs> two points for about you though yeah. So yeah, you do you do get on site earlier than anybody. Yeah. And I'm I in sorry, I'll talk about me for a sec, but like I have to get to my job. I figure it's kind of early for a musician because I have to set my stuff up. Whereas, you know, saxophone players show up ten minutes before, plug in their mic and go. <laughs> but you are there to make sure that everything gets you know, go smoothly or that you're ahead of any obstacles that might come up. Yeah. I remember that specifically for the Mexico job and and you're always there ahead of me or at least almost always there ahead of me for any job that we do together. So like, I don't want to use the word bully (laughs) to say great job, but it's, that's important. And I know that it's important to you. I, I feel like you become more than just a DJ at some point, right? where you're more of like a project manager and as a project manager you should be the first one there to make sure everything's going according to plan well locally that just means kind of like a bunch of musicians a bunch of different vendors when you're away you're sort of at like the mercy of the logistics of everyone else the back line especially yeah like equipment rental venue decoration rental like all these things they kind of have to like work cohesively together so before the music starts it's kind of like the most important part of the whole gig yeah getting there set up on time with your materials that's the job yeah the, the rest is fun right like but also like making sure that like stuff is going where it needs to go right 
for whatever reason, like when you travel outside of the country, people have these like quirky ideas where to set up speakers. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it's not Leo like, doing it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Leo. But like, yeah, like people have these like interesting, like I did this one wedding in Europe where they had the speakers facing each other. Like one speaker was like on one side and the other speaker was across the dance floor facing the other speaker, <laughs> which I was like, wait, what? why are you doing that? And like, I, I, I'm not sure, like maybe it's like culturally that they think that that looks good or it sounds better, but I could tell you that it sounds terrible and it looks ter- just as terrible. Okay. Because it's only two speakers, right? It's not like four speakers. If you had four speakers, you Maybe. could do a full yeah. experiential but dance. You floor. wouldn't do that on a, at a wedding necessarily. Maybe we should. Yeah. I mean, maybe we should. Yeah. But yeah. And so if you get there too late, most of the time the response you hear like, oh, we already set up. Like we're, we're finished, you know? So you're kind of like, no. Yeah. You have to make sure you get there before to alleviate any kind of problems like that because the end result the final product is still on you right like right. the client doesn't care that the sound guy was terrible and had horrible ideas they're like wow this sucks like why does the music cancel itself out on the middle of the dance floor <laughs> yeah when i'm in <laughs> front of the, the speakers it's way too loud but when i'm in the middle of the dance yeah. floor i can't hear a thing so what's going on you ruined my wedding no one's gonna think <laughs> of that like you know, that's why they trust you to get the job done, right? Because you're going to think of that for them. I love that. You know? And I love <laughs> what you I also liked what you said about once they're done setting up, if you're like, hey, that has got to go over here. They're like, no, because. Yeah. And you can't be a dick about it, but. Yeah. You should like nicely ask like, hey, can you move that? I know you already like screwed the speaker into the floor. But you're saying get ahead of it. It's easier to get ahead of it than to ask them to move it, you know? After, yeah. You know, it's easier to say please than to say, I'm sorry, <laughs> right? So I feel like it's just easier to say, like, please, can you not set that up there, right? Instead of, like, I'm sorry, can you move that? Right. <laughs> I right. feel like they're they're like, uh, like, why? You know? And it could be, like, so many reasons why they set it up that way. Like, maybe their boss told them to do that. So they're just following directions, right? So, like. It's hard to read those dynamics, but it's much easier if you're there in advance early, like you said, to kind of be like, hey, let's work together. Let's set this up here. I promise it will be it'll be better. It's much easier if you're there in advance early to kind of be like, hey, let's work together. Let's set this up here. I promise it'll be better. Well, I have so much respect for that. And I remember it in Mexico and you like, you went, I remember you going to the beach two, three hours ahead of when we, we were called. And I just appreciated that we knew, you know, the boss, like you're the boss, you're taking care of it. And we had some extra time. And I also, I just, all for all of those reasons you just mentioned, like I knew it's just cool that you're doing the right job. It's just a great thing that you're yeah. doing the right job. I think that over the years, I realized that like the success of a party, and I guess maybe <laughs> this goes back to what makes a great party, but the comfort of the people you're working with is super important. 
right? And if you're the one that booked them on the gig, you're kind of responsible for that. So, and we're like far away from home, right? Like we're sort of in another country, not on a ton of rest, right? So you kind of want to make it easier for everyone else because you know they'll you'll play better, right? Like you put more effort into it. Like just the gig seems already halfway there, right? Like everything's kind of ready for you. So I found that like over the years, it's just the easier you make it on the people you work with, like the better the performance that you're going to get. Fully. Uh, Yeah. I would, I would say yes. And the, I would make a slight addendum I always try to give my 110% on every gig. There's and there's no real turning it off. Yeah. When I'm performing, I'm performing. Yeah. I think you feel the same. Yeah. Way. But if there's any but but if I'm uncomfortable for any reason like ahead of the gig, I'm driving there wondering if I'm going to, you know, get paid with the new person that I'm working for mm. or or if they're going to bust my shoes about one thing or, you know, it could be any number of variables, but I've always felt comfortable with you. Yeah. You've always taken wonderful care of me. Thank you so much. You're a God. And, you know, but if you're going with any doubts about how it's going to go, that, you know, you're driving there. That's your vibe on the way there. You want a good vibe on the way there as much as possible. Yeah. That's probably the best way to explain it. Yeah. And especially when you're traveling, yeah, like you say, but to every gig. And and I would say that I was so excited to have you here. That's a huge part of the reason is because I never worry about a thing with an all Alex right. Edge gig. It just, all, all, the only <laughs> thing I worry about is like getting myself there and kicking ass. Yeah. You know, that's all. And that's it. That's all you want. Show up, right? Show, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The next thing I was going to say, and, yeah. and again- Thank you a thousand times for all that. Yeah. I have loved all the work we've done together. Of course. You're welcome. Uh, and then speaking of love, you were saying about your family being on this gig next week with you. Yeah. You get to spend some... Now, you're going to be there for five days, but yeah. you're also taking some vacation with that. It's not a five-day gig. No, it's a it's a two-day gig, but the first gig is like at the hotel. So it's like I just have to like walk two feet with my computer. Okay. And the the wedding itself is like offsite. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll have like three three days, three four days to like chill. Okay, right. But in any case, yeah. I hope you already realize this. <laughs> Taking your family on this gig, this a work trip, that's a vacation. You're the coolest. I mean, it's at least at least to those three people whose opinions <laughs> you probably care about more than anybody in the entire world. Um. I always think of doing what I do as like akin to winning the lottery because like there's so many people that DJ, right? Like there's just so many DJs and I'm from like a tiny town in Ukraine. Like the odds of me being a a working DJ in New York is like really like akin to winning the lottery. Like, yeah, you could say like I worked hard for it and like did the, you know, do the right thing and all all of that but i always feel like incredibly lucky that i'm able to do this and, and people pay me. i just yeah. like i always look at it like i'm like wow like hey this is i get to do this for work so when i get to travel for work i always feel like 
like I'm from like a like a village, right? From like there's like thirty thousand people from like the town that I grew up in, and like I wound up here, and this is what I do, and I get to go. Like so, I find it to be like the luckiest thing in the world, you know, where like I don't kind of like not ever think about it. I always think about that like I'm super lucky to do this. I always think about that like I'm super lucky to do this. That's very inspiring. Yes. Counting your blessings. Yes. I just wanted to say one more thing about how cool it is that you get to bring your family on a work trip vacation because your sons will have this, like they get to see you working yeah. at the same time and it puts them up on this awesome trip. Yeah. Like it's, that's infinitely inspiring to them too. I'm saying. I don't know if they're aware of it. I mean, like my oldest how old is your oldest? Six. I feel oh, like yeah. this he's is a aware formative of, memory. Yeah, like I feel like he's aware of what I do because he tells everyone. Okay, adorable. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I feel like I don't know. Kids are kind of like kids are aware of it, but they're almost kind of like, well, yeah, like I'm going to Mexico because like my dad goes to Mexico all the time for work, so it's kind of like, you know. That's what I'm doing next week. That's exactly what I'm talking about, though. You know, now he'll have the experience of going on this trip and like, why? Because yeah. you made it happen doing the yeah. thing you love to do. You know, I just think. Um, I think they'll realize more of it, like obviously in later years, right? Like they're not like going to be at six. Like, like, wow, how lucky am I? Right. <laughs> I, I feel like it's I don't want to say like. They take it for granted, but that's just life to them, Yeah, no right? kids. Yeah, 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 of course. But <laughs> it should, I mean, you're saying, you know, you come from a small village yeah. and you can't believe you get to travel for work and DJ and yeah. it's what you love. And your kids, this is their baseline. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, yeah. they're going to take over the world. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, this is top-notch, yeah. awesome Brooklyn dad stuff that, that, that you're doing here. I guess, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Alex Edge is blushing across the table for, yeah. again, the people who cannot see him. So, so cool. Yeah. I'm so happy that I got to be a part of that last year. If you don't book me for three more destination gigs, I won't work for you at all this year. Damn, I wish you were coming on this one, though. <laughs> no, uh, whatever we can do together, man, like I said, I'm super happy with all of that. The, your mom is still in Ukraine, yeah? No, my mom's here. Oh. Yeah. Brother or sister, though? My half-sister is in Ukraine. Okay. So, same same dad, different moms. When I first started working like with you and Irina, yeah. I was calling it the Russian scene. Yeah. It kind of is. Like, we all is. speak do, Russian. And, and you do a lot of Russian Russian weddings? like, Or are they mostly Ukrainian weddings? I feel like a lot of them are... The people are from what Ukraine is now, right? I don't want to get into like the whole geopolitics of it all, uh -huh. right? But we all came from like the Soviet Union, right? right? Which is not a country anymore. Right. So, but I think the reason why it was like Russian wedding was because we all came to America speaking Russian. So when you went to school in America, like you were like, oh, you're Russian, right? Like you speak Russian. But, like, obviously people came from many different parts of the former Soviet Union. But it's just easier to kind of move through life in a new country without correcting people. So, I feel like everyone just kind of like, yeah, 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 I'm Russian, sure. 
So it kind of, okay. and now I feel like people start making that distinction, obviously, because of what, like what's happening in the world, but yeah, but like we're originally from the former Soviet Union, but we speak Russian, but now it's Ukraine. Yeah. Okay. I'm jumping back and forth. Can you tell me a little bit more about the Ukraine? Cause it is a hot issue right now. It's <laughs> a hot topic right now. You do have family there. Yeah. Um, you know, my heart goes out to your family, yeah, your people, you. your township, your yeah. part of your life. When did you come here? I'm 94. So I was 13. Oh, wow. I thought you were much younger. Yeah. I thought I remembered you telling me you were like a baby, two years old. No, no. Okay. That was Irina. Oh, okay. Yeah. How's your half-sister doing in there um, right now? Is she in hot water? Is she Yeah, safe? I feel like Ukrainian people have like a very resilient spirit where they kind of deal with everything that's thrown at them where this attitude like we'll make it work because that's what life is right like so i feel like it's much more difficult than what she says but she is like you know we're alive and healthy and that's what's important but I assume it's not great, right? Like, they don't have electricity, like, at night. And now there's, like, less heat. So, like, it's, like, a very real situation that we can't imagine, right? Because we live in a pretty great country where, like, that you can't even imagine what that's like. So, yeah. I, I assume it's hard. And probably even harder than what I am imagining, it, right? Like, in, in, in the reality of it. Yeah. But I think they have this resilience where they're, they're, they're able to see it through. Okay. Yeah. How much longer do you think this is going on for? I don't know. <laughs> I know. I'm asking you to predict the future, <laughs> I don't know. Do you, and, and since we, the last, we spoke a, a bit about the situation over there at Leo's birthday. That was several months ago. But since we spoke about it, do you, are you more favorable about the way it's going? Are you less favorable? Do you have any new ideas or opinions on um, what's up with the Russia-Ukraine No, I war? think that none of us really know. You know? Okay. We just talk about it to like maybe make ourselves feel better. That, oh, it'll be, it'll be good. Right? It'll be over soon. But I don't think anyone really knows. And that's the worst part of it. That it's so unpredictable. Wow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It sucks. Okay. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. Um, yeah, I just wanted to, I, I, we don't We don't have to get into it much further unless, again, yeah. you know, anything. Um, I think that Ukraine to me is home, you know, like I, I live here and obviously this is my home, but I used to visit there quite often and I felt from the moment I would like step off the plane, like I was like, oh, this is, I, you know, I know this place, like I'm from here. And that's like a very powerful feeling, right? Like it's very grounding. And the worst part of it all is that like I haven't been there in a number of years. And the worst part of it all is like not knowing when I'll be able to go back, right? But in my heart, like it feels home. Like my grandfather wasn't born in Ukraine and he moved there right after World War II. And for him, like that was home. You know, like he was born somewhere else. He lived in Moscow. And then like once World War II started, he lived in Siberia. He was well, like, hang on a second. He was evacuated there because he was on the railroad 
Wow. And they were considered like military reserves because I think the thinking was that they need to be saved to rebuild the country. So they can't be expendable. So they were moved to Siberia, like away from the front line. I mean, Siberia is desolate, isn't it? I'm not sure how far into Siberia they were, but like, from what I understand, like pretty far from where the fighting was. Wow. So your grandfather was born in Russia? He was bo born in Belarus, which Belarus. is like a part of Soviet okay. Union. Okay. But yeah, he went to college in Moscow. The war started and he left. They, they were evacuated almost like immediately with the thinking that they are the ones that are going to rebuild the Soviet Union. And in the large way they were because like the railroad became like this essential like logistical tool for the Soviet Union. But he moved to Ukraine after the war and like for him, he like lived there. He made like, it his home. Yeah. Like he had kids there. He worked on the railroad his entire life. And like it was home for him. Even when we moved here, he moved here with us. Like Ukraine for him was home. And I feel like he passed that to us, like this like feeling of that it's home. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Your grandfather's passed on? Mm -hmm. How long ago? 2015. Okay. So not too long. Does are we past the but are we past the sorry? I'm I'm just making a Larry David joke because I know you don't. <laughs> the what? A Larry David joke. I don't remember that. The sorry period. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> no, you know that's uh, everything you said about your grandfather was beautiful, uh, and it sounds like he was a great man. And yeah, I, I you know, and that's uh, I'm not belittling you know your struggle with the current situation. But yeah, like you say, then your your half sister struggle is like yeah. She's she's got all the worst she's parts of yeah. camping. Only she's living it. Yeah, it's at home. Yeah, yeah. she's living it right, and it's got to be very stressful. Yeah. So, yeah, wow. Thank you for the insight. Yeah. Okay, so let's transition like this way. I have who are some of your influences down? Like as a DJ or musically, yeah. like what records do you like? Are there any famous Ukrainian DJs that you know of? Or other like maybe Eastern European guys. No, there's a there's or girls. A, there's a, yeah, and there's a bunch of female DJs in Ukraine. But there's one guy in particular. His name is Koloa, and he makes like I don't know. He makes like this like I, I want to say like cinematic music, right? Like it's very uh, just sounds like a beautiful film. But I've heard I've listened to his like DJ sets and I've listened to his music. And it's incredible. And like, I feel like he is like the future of what Ukraine is, where it's like this country that's like super on the cutting edge of culture, which is not necessarily what you would think about Ukraine right now. But I feel like it's been that way for a long time already. But I think now the world will see it. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's extremely uplifting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And again, not to belittle anything, you yeah. know, the situation is dire and impossible, but that's great. Kaloa. Yeah. I'm going to check him out. Yeah. yeah and I think you'll like it. his cinematic music, is it built into house sets or is he like a movie composer and he also- Both. Sick. Yeah. Both. So that he is... does like like the techno thing and then he'll do like like some ambient stuff and then he'll do like scores for music. Okay. Yeah. 
Super uh, talented. And did you, were you into him before you came here? No, no, no. I've discovered him like on Instagram. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have many musical influences growing up in Ukraine, but my grandparents on my dad's side were actors. Like they were theater actors. And I feel like they were like kind of a huge influence uh, on me without me realizing it at the time. <laughs> they were of the arts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were professional actors. And like my grandmother was director of like a youth theater, but she took it like super seriously. Like she like wrote scripts and like re rewritten a bunch of scripts and like directed like, I don't know, hundreds of plays. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Like my parents met because my mom was in her college theater group. And that's how my parents met me. You were telling me about some of your influences. Oh, yeah. You mentioned the one guy from Ukraine. Is there anybody else from Ukraine? Uh, not really. I feel like I grew up most of my life here. And like DJing was a thing that developed here. Right? Like I liked music as a kid. But like I didn't imagine I didn't know that that was a person doing that, right? Like playing music for people. But growing up in New York, I was sort of surrounded with like a group of friends that like needed to be out at a club from like a very young <laughs> age. I don't know if it was like a social thing that like I find that kids now and like we know a bunch of kids that work with us, like they don't really go to clubs like I did when I was 16, which sounds crazy now, right? Like like someone let a 16-year-old into like a club that closes at noon, right? It sounds insane. Yeah. Do, were you <laughs> at, were you at like Tunnel and yeah. Limelight? And yeah. No, li I feel like, I think Limelight, I kind of missed by a year or two. But yeah, the Tunnel, like we caught that and like the Sound Factory, we caught that and there was a club called Twilo. Yeah, I'm jealous. And there was a DJ called Junior Vasquez who was like, like superhuman. Junior Vasquez, I think I follow Junior Vasquez on Instagram. It's possible. Okay. He's still around. Okay. You know, at the time, he was like this like superhuman figure that like we didn't understand like how the music sounded this good where music <laughs> was coming from there was all these like unpredictable moments built into his set which i feel like no one was doing and i feel like a lot of us were kind of mind blown by it where was he playing mostly so I, when i was 17 it was twilo and then he kind of like moved around but he was like a regular at a club only so like every saturday night he would be like and then like when he moved to a different venue, like he would be at that venue for like, I don't know, a year to two years. I don't know. I feel like Twilight, he was there forever. Wow. Maybe we have to come back and do a podcast where you just tell me about these clubs. <laughs> a neighbor of my of ours where, you know, where I grew up with my brother, yeah. Renato Tavares. I think he's a little older than you. I'm not sure. Was had told us about Twilo Tunnel Limelight. Yeah. Plus, like, was this Club Kids era? 
Were you? No. Were you? No. I feel like Club Kids era was like early '90s, like middle mid '90s, right? I was like 13. Okay, so you were kind of there late '90s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and like late '90s, early 2000s, I feel like was like this crazy heyday in New York. But like, I I don't know if now you would say like things are worse. Like, there's a million places and parties every single night in New York, right? Like, right. It's just different. Like, I feel like it was a smaller group of people going out to like each place and that had its own kind of like click. And now, like, I feel like these parties are just massive. They're much bigger than they were when I was going out. But it's always like, you know, the old man kind of syndrome, like, oh, things were better back in my day. Right. Which is insane. Right. No, I don't think you're expressing too much of that. Yeah, yeah. No, but, no, but like But I'm I'm uh, what I'm saying is those three or four places are like legend level iconic. Yeah. And yeah. I wish that I could have seen them. Like the closest thing, the coolest club I would think I've ever been to, probably output. Yeah. And I have never seen anything like it again in terms of speaker and and the design layout of that place. So like, like just... I went to Pasha once too, and I was so fluff. I was so fluff with like I just couldn't care less about Pasha. To me, it did not do anything for me. When you say Junior Vasquez was blowing your mind, like that's where I want to be. Is he still out? Is he still rocking? I'm not sure, but I know that like size wise, like Twilo was similar to Pasha, where like output is more intimate. But I feel like the reason why you didn't like Pasha is because it was like more mainstream, right? Yeah. Um, where like Twilo, you weren't really sure what it was going to be like, right? It was like very unpredictable. Like it definitely wasn't mainstream. It was like deep house and techno and... I feel like it was... It It's hard to pin down like what he did. But he did like a bunch of like kind of poppy vocals but like he would produce the songs himself so it was like his sound right like he had like a signature sound which i i was always fascinated by that you can like play i don't know ten thousand songs or whatever like a thousand songs in a night like he had these crazy long sets but he had like a sound and like you knew it was him right so i i always find like obviously you don't do that at weddings right because like i wish we would though <laughs> But it's not about us, right? right. It's not right. about our sound, right? Oh, like that's where you're wrong. It's all it's about I mean, me. <laughs> no, no. It's about our style, how we present the record. Yeah. Right? But the records itself, like, it's more about like the audience. What he was doing, it was like fully about what his vision was for the night. Which I was I've always found incredible. Like I was like, damn. Like he's just doing what he wants. Yeah. Like, wow. Like, how? Right? Yeah. How is this working? And the crowd how was following him, and he would, like, do, I don't know, like a Broadway musical, like, in the middle of the night for, like, three minutes. For right? real? And he wouldn't lose the crowd. Like, the crowd went wild for that. You know what I mean? And I just found that, like, and maybe, like, part of, like, what I imagined, like, crowd control was like that, right? Like, where... You have the crowd like in the palm of your hand and you could do anything, right? Like you could play like the Golden Girls theme and and people are like, oh, the greatest shit ever. 
you know? And to me, that was like, wow, like he, the crack, right? Like what, what could be better than you're playing in like this crazy deep house club with like 5,000 people in it and you're playing the Golden Girls theme. Right. <laughs> and they're love and they're loving it. and they're like, what is coming next? Right. After that. Right. They're not going to the bathroom or like to get a drink of water. They're like, what's going to happen next? That's yeah. That's I mean, that's peak art. Yeah. Especially for DJing. And that's I would feel like. You don't really see that anymore. Like that element of surprise. There's too much money, I guess, in nightlife now where like. People are not like trying to be that surprised because no one really knows if that could just lose the night and lose a ton of money, right? Like ton of revenue. I want to hope that what you're saying is not true, but in my experience, it's been more true. I feel like these shows are highly produced, right? With so much money invested into like production and equipment and lighting. And a lot of it is kind of like pre-planned in advance. Which is like the, I feel like, I don't want to say the, it's just the art went into like this mega stratosphere direction where what he was doing was very like, this is what I want. And it's about the music. Right. Yeah. Like, this is what I want right now. I'm going to play this now because in my head, that's what I'm, I'm feeling where now shows are much more produced. It's more about giving the crowd like this highly produced almost like concert like feel right like when you go see a band like very often they already have a set list in mind right they're not like yeah we'll just wing it you know we'll figure it out and it's awesome right but i find that when you go to shows and you go see i don't know i hate to use that example but like i saw mumford and sons yeah <laughs> and they like sang almost a cappella into this like one mic in the middle of the crowd, like standing around this mic and they kind of sang this almost like around the campfire, but like they're in the stadium. And I find that like these unpredictable moments are like very memorable. But that was memorable for you. Yeah. Yeah. You bring it up, I guess. So. Uh, it was and, a, and, so it was and, a good show. Yeah, and they no, I oh. mean they killed. Like even if they didn't have that moment, it would be like, wow, like these guys are incredible, right? But like, I feel like with more produced shows, there's less unpredictability. Well, I was thinking maybe Junior Vasquez was more akin to what you were saying earlier about preparedness. You know, he's probably practicing those sets. Like it might be, it's unpredictable for you, but that yeah. might be what he did every day that week. And it, and then at the same time, when he's also killing it all the time, yeah. like that's, you're practicing killing it all the time. I, I want to say probably yes. I feel like our view of artists is that, you know, you get this lightning bolt strike and they're like, yes, I'm going to invent cubism, right? But I feel like that's not the reality of it. I feel like the reality is that like someone paints for like 10,000 hours and then like, oh, I'm going to like take off everything and just leave the lines in. Yeah. You know? So I feel like it was the same, right? He was probably listening to like 20,000 records throughout the week. Yeah. It's just obsessed. And getting ideas 
versus like in our heads we're thinking like wow he really thought of like play the golden girls right then and then i think he probably thought about it on wednesday right <laughs> and you're there on friday or saturday right yeah. so you're like wow like but again like you know i feel like people don't think of it that way and and that's good right you don't want people to think about that while they're dancing right right that means they're not having a great time i guess i gotta get junior vasquez on the podcast next <laughs> i turned 30 11 years ago and the guy we were working with knew him and i was like hey man can you get junior vasquez to dj at this club that i was working at that time and i'm gonna like celebrate my 30th birthday and he actually made it happen so it was like one of like the coolest moments to like have him dj at my birthday like oh that that's was, incredible yeah yeah like I've I yeah. feel like a fan. I've never heard him play. Did yeah. you have you met him? Did you get to talk to him? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. They say like never meet your heroes, but he couldn't have been nicer. Oh, good. <laughs> good. Yeah. Good. Did he kill and he killed the set of yeah. birthday? Yeah. We were like, yeah, this is yeah. Totally serendipitous. Oh, happy thirtieth birthday, Alex. Oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about influences and I yeah. do you still listen to Junior Vasquez? I listen. To, I find Does myself. Does he have a listening. Spotify? I'm sorry to answer. Does he have a Spotify stream? No. Or he, SoundCloud? Like, no. You could like find his older sets. I don't know how he recorded his sets, but like his sets like made their way onto the internet, so you could like find his older sets. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where do you know? Like Mixcloud and SoundCloud. Okay. Mostly Mixcloud. I'm not sure why, but like yeah. Like the most famous club besides Twilo that he DJed at was the Sound Factory, which was like. The original in Sound Factory, and which is the same building where Twyla was. Okay. Yeah. So like he was like kind of instrumental in changing New York nightlife. Yeah. With the Sound Factory, and like, and just where the music went in New York, like because I feel like New York house was like this very specific kind of like aggressive, very much like New York itself type of sound. And I feel like it, he was like the mastermind of it all. So it's like, I don't know. It's cool to like go back and like listen to a set from like 1991 or 1992. But it's like, I'm like, damn, like this sounds like New York. Cool. I can't wait. My brother, <laughs> Joe Leo, is going to love this part of the conversation. Okay. He's almost, he has a small obsession with these older, with these older clubs. Oh yeah. The few that we've been talking okay. about. And he's going to love to probably dig out those sets. Yeah. I've been listening to that Diplo set you sent me. Yeah. And it's fantastic. Yeah. I put it on in the car with my girlfriend. And whereas I was kind of saying about that one party I went to recently, you know, the decor was great. And I've been to parties where the music is so-so and it makes all the difference. I've also been to those parties where their DJs are killing. Yeah. Again, like what makes people want to dance? What makes a great party? What makes um, what makes New York yeah. house slightly more aggressive and groovier and harder hitting, right? Is it a little tempo? I, I don't Is know it if the it's the way the beats get done. Yeah. I don't know if it's still like the same. I feel like electronic music in general is like very global now, right? Where like in the nineties this was like the epicenter, right? Like this and like London, like if you wanted to like hear incredible music, like you came to New York, right? If you wanted to like experience like a mega club, some sort you went to like London, right? 
But I feel like now it's so global. So I don't know. I would necessarily like call it like a New York sound. But I find that like a good groove and a consistent type of beat and bass is what separates better electronic music from something kind of boring, right? Like some foundation there. I feel like generally right diplo is diplo is like an incredible dj right like he had this like journey of like multiple genres and like killing it in like every genre right and and that was his like next evolution right like he's doing more underground stuff where like in the i don't know late 2000s he was doing more like edm like kind of like popular festival sounds and now he's doing like this like kind of like very deep house underground style but like he kind of, I guess, the curator of the best, right? So he finds like the best records, right? And his shit sounds good. <laughs> but I find that, especially with that set, right? It's just got, it has like a good groove. Like it makes you want to move, right? Like it just makes you want to dance. Mm-hmm. And maybe like it's something you can't even explain. It's just kind of like, like it's there. Like you feel it, right? Like you put it on, you were like, oh man, yeah. Immediately. <laughs> this is good. This part is- of the magic. That's part of the, the real magic of music is yeah. the way it yeah. physically moves you yeah. and emotionally moves you in that sometimes you can sometimes you can put your finger on exactly what right. but you it's feel hard, like it is. Right? It's not an exact science. Yes. 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 You know, it's not like accounting. <laughs> well, uh, it's an art. <laughs> right. But, uh, so, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> if everyone could figure out a formula, we would just kind of like stick to that and people kind of do that, right? But then it gets corny. But I feel like... It's slightly unpredictable, but you also can't put your finger on it. Like, why you like it? Like, you just know. Like, wow, that's that's dope. <laughs> like, hey, listen to this set. Like, this is great. Do you have any like local influences? Like, hmm. other friends in the business that yeah. you do you like what they're doing, and you and you you taken things from pages from them, or vice versa? I know you have a lot of friends in the business. I've worked. I've worked for a few of them. Yeah, yeah. My friend Matt. I know you met. Uh, I know you guys met Matt uh, Bonavita, right? Yeah, yeah. Am I saying his last name right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Matt. What's up? I think that uh, I've taken influence from him as a business owner, but more importantly, as a person. Like always, like doing the right thing a hundred percent of the time, right? Where it's like something people say they'll do. But that's not always the case. Not easy. No. And I feel like I met him when I was young. And he was obviously relatively young too. No, no, he was young. He was young. Like, sorry, that came off. I thought you liked this guy. We, no, no, no. We, <laughs> we've known each other for such a long time that it feels like, wow, like I've known you forever. But it, it has been forever, right? Like I was 18 when I met him, right? Wow. I'm 41 now. You're, I'm, for, I'm 41. It sounded like I said 21, right? Yeah, it did. <laughs> maybe yeah. There, maybe a, a Freudian slip. No, that's no, how you no, feel. I don't wish that's I how was, old you feel. No, no, I don't wish I was 21. But yeah, I feel like he's he was always doing the right thing, right? And like let's let's pay this guy X because that that's the right thing. Like let's let this guy know in advance like what his role in this project is. And I feel like I learned that from him. I, uh, you know, he 
it was always doing the right thing 100% of the time. And I, I've met his dad when he was alive, and I feel like his dad was that guy, you know? And he passed it on to him, and I feel like he... Uh, he mentored a lot of guys that carry that into the world too, you know, just being a good person and doing the right thing and not treating people like shit that are like in your circle or even people that you don't know. Like, of course. Right. Cause you can meet like some kind of sketchy people in entertainment, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I feel like if you're young and that's what you're exposed to, like you're going to think like that's okay. And like, be a sketchy person. And sometimes sketchy people find their way up in the world. Yeah, so yeah. There, there's a gray area too, I have to say, <laughs> yeah. because, you know, the bully doesn't know. The bully doesn't realize he's a bully. Yeah. He just realizes that he gets what he wants yeah. pretty often. It, and it works. And, yeah. And you know what? Whatever, right? Like it works for some people and God bless. <laughs> right, right. You know? Life seems to move easier and more friendly when you're easier and friendly and trying to do good for people. I just think that you don't, you're not always looking over your shoulder, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> you're like, you know, you're doing the right thing by the person. And when you're not, you're, you're capable. Like if you made a mistake, like we're all, we all make mistakes. Like you're able to be like, oh shit, I messed up. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> well, I didn't realize that you and Matt were that close. I met him when you started the book club. Yeah. So I met him over the internet. And I noticed that he's like a, he's an interesting guy and, yeah. and he's a teacher, right? Yeah. Full time. Yeah. And then I, and then I slowly learned about how you guys were working together, but that's really cool. And like mentor, it sounds like for you too, he's a little older than you. Yeah. He's a few years older. How did you say you met? He was a student teacher when I was a senior in high school. So he was just out of college. And I think he was like thinking of DJing then, but like I was already, like I was 17 and I was, you know, I thought I was a DJ. I wasn't. Oh, you were gigging as a DJ? Um, I was doing like nonsense. I don't know. Right. Team parties, whatever. And your was. restaurant gig, it's, you know. I th Yeah, I was already doing, yeah, yeah, I was already doing that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but then I went back to my high school to like visit somebody, one of the teachers. Or all of the teachers, I don't know, like, we were like nerds, you know, so we actually liked our teachers and like, talked to them and like. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we went to visit, like me, my friend Danny, the guy that I DJ with, and we run into Matt and he was like, hey, I, like, are you still DJing? And I think I was more into it at the time because Danny went away to school to Albany so I feel like he kind of, like, he would come back and, like, do gigs with this DJ company every so often, but eventually got in the way of, like, him studying and, like, you know, doing the work that he needed to do. And I was more like, yeah, I guess I'm in college, but, like, I really just want to DJ, <laughs> you know. And Matt was like, hey, I just started gigging for this company. Do you want to come as, like, a DJ slash helper, like? I book my own gigs and like they give me gigs too. And I said, yeah, yeah, why not? Like, sounds good. And then a couple of years into it, he left that company to start his own company with another guy. Is it called Music in Motion? 
rhythm and motion. Rhythm in yeah. motion. That's it. Yeah. And and yeah, and they like they book tons of gigs and I work with him predominantly and you know, it's a different world to play in like a nightclub full of drunk people, right? Mm-hmm. Versus to like playing a 50th birthday, right? Oh. For someone you've never met before and you've never met their friends, right? And I feel like that taught me so much of like how to connect with just anybody, huh. like, like really just about anybody. Because at the time I was just like a hired person, right? I didn't interface with the client at all. So like, I didn't know anything. Like I would look at like some of the stuff they wanted and be oh. like, oh, I'll play that. Sure. But I feel like Matt really provided a lot of guidance for me in those early years because I didn't grow up in America, right? So, like, I wouldn't particularly know, like, this is the music someone grew up with as a kid. Ah. And I feel like that was such an important part of me understanding the thought process of what makes, like, a family party a party, right? Like, you have to use music that people grew up with and, like, nostalgia, right? Like, is a big part of And I feel like in those early years, like, it was super important that I was with someone who took the time to explain to me, like, hey, don't play that now. That that sucks. <laughs> like, play this. Like, they'll definitely know that. Okay. And I'm like, no, no, no. They can fucking learn to like no, this song. I'm putting on Gaifuyim. <laughs> and yeah, like, we, no, no, no. In those days, we didn't even do any Russian parties. That morphed years down the road. But... See, you called them Russian parties. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. All right. You so know what I mean? Just, yeah. Okay. It's... Well, it sounds like also, though, he was showing you, uh, you got experience with Matt interfacing with clients that you were, this is kind of when you started to book your own no, private parties? No, no. It was way before. And like at, at that time, I don't know if I would call it, I was super shy, but I guess I was. And I- wouldn't even dare to like talk to the client. Like I would just be like, man, like you'd rather like stick an ice pick in my eye than me having to do that. Really? Yeah. I feel like you <laughs> probably excel, you excel in that. Like, I think I learned how to be comfortable with it. Maybe I always was comfortable talking to people, but at that time it was like, oh my God, like I got to jump off this cliff. Wow. Yeah. Maybe it had to do... I feel like we're revealing too much. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm just kidding. It's a formative experience. Maybe it had to do with... Now, this might actually, but maybe it had to do with like negotiation because no, that's uncomfortable. Well, I wasn't even part of that. I, uh, I was like, I'm talking about like at the end of the gig, like, hey, let's say goodbye to the client. I'd be like, no, I don't want to... Oh, wow. Like, I'm going to, like, pack up and, like, you go say goodbye because, like, I don't really want to talk. Like, I felt, like, deeply uncomfortable. Like, Oh, that's, like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it was, like, a language thing that, like, I didn't grow up here. Do you have an accent when you were in probably. your teenager style? I'm assuming. In your 20s? I'm, no, I no. But, I mean, yeah, I probably did. Okay. Yeah. So, like, it was probably, like, a confidence thing where I was, like, right. you know. But again, it was probably all in my head. But yeah, like it took years for me to like kind of feel comfortable and be like, hey, this is me. This is what I do. <laughs> I I always try and greet bride and groom or whoever 
you know, whoever's party we're on ahead of time. Yeah. I feel like, because I'm going to be in their party. But you're a very personable person by nature. Right. But right. when but when I don't get to, like if I'm rushing to yeah. set up and I don't get a chance to see them when they yeah. come in for room shots or whatever, yeah. and quickly, I shake their hands, thank you so much for having me yeah. here. If I don't get to, I feel like it's impersonal. I agree. Yeah. Right. I, I feel like, and again, in like my earlier years, I was very uncomfortable like talking on the microphone. Right. And now I find that it's easier to connect to the crowd if you just say like one or two things in the beginning just to kind of like they know who you are like they'll follow your lead and it doesn't have to be anything like lengthy or obnoxious i've been on some gigs where you have to MC a little bit and if i'm near enough to you like three out of five times that you have to get on the microphone yeah. you turn to me and say I hate talking on the microphone. And then you say what you have to say. <laughs> and like, I feel like most people don't even know that. Right. Um, you sound great. But it's like, it's again, like, it's just like in my head. And like, when I was younger, I wouldn't like, man, you would have to like torture me to get me to do that. Because to me, it was always like the DJ is like, you know, somewhere in the corner, hidden, controlling the vibes. Like, you know, I, and over time I realized that and it was funny. It was a guy I met that have you heard of this restaurant sammy's rings a bell it but was on a, i mean it, it could just it's a generic name it was on the lower east side it was like a old school eastern european jewish restaurant it rings another bell but still yeah and they had this dude who was like an incredible entertainer like just the the top but he would he played at the keyboard and he would like like make jokes and sing and entertain and entertain right like right? he was just like man like you know i i could never do that and nor did i try to and i met him at a gig a client hired him just to sing some jewish songs and lesmer jewish songs or like party jewish songs both okay yeah and he'll sing like he has like funny numbers that he reworks the words of like i don't know a billy joel song and entertain it i that's it's like the Such old school, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like old school New York, you know, like what you think of like, and I was talking to him and he was like, you know, man, they need to see more of you because they'll connect with you more if they see what you're doing. And I thought I was like, oh, that's weird. You know, like I have a computer, <laughs> like what could they possibly see? But I, I kind of felt that he was right that like they they would need to see more of me and feel me more to connect to the music right because like the guy behind the curtain pulling the strings like yeah they don't really care for that you know they they want like to see someone they connect with your fear is that you weren't the wonderful wizard you're right great no the great and powerful <laughs> uh, yeah 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 but no you are great and powerful and yeah, and like, I remember thinking like, yeah, like shit, how do I do that? What did you do different after that? How did you, so you, that's, I was that's very, a great takeaway. I, yeah. I'm taking that personal, yeah. like, yeah. cause I am on display and I know that. So the reason he told me that is but because it's affirming. He, yeah, yeah. He said that he was in theater. Okay. And he was like, Hey, you should have your DJ booth be lower. It's like your DJ booth is too high. And at the time I would have like a DJ booth that was like, covered my computer like they you wouldn't see anything and i remember thinking i'm like shit he's right like you they, mean your vanities yeah okay 
And he's like, you should make a lower one so they see your hands and they see your body and they connect with your body language. And I was like, yeah. So like I built myself like a lower one where I'm much, and I felt, I don't want to say I felt a connection immediately, but again, in my head, I was like, yeah, this is it. <laughs> this New, is dope. Newer, kind of more contemporary style I see a lot is to have that like tea table. Right. Where it looks built into the table. Yeah. You've got Which your is computer, great too. but it's all open. Yeah. Right? Which just... I don't love because I don't love when people see my feet shuffling. <laughs> like, oh, he counts the beat with his well, that, that would be connecting to music uh, more, too. Yeah, I guess. Which I don't do. I don't count the beat with my feet. But, <laughs> I, but, I, but I probably... For the record, Alex Edge does not yeah, tap it's his all foot up here. I'm when he's DJing, okay? But maybe inadvertently I do. And That's like, the difference. All those other DJs that tap their feet? No, no. Yeah, they suck. Alex... Alex's feet are firmly planted <laughs> on the ground. But those stands that you're talking about, I feel like for corporate events, I, yeah. those are the move, right? Because like, I feel like the corporate client wants to see that they're paying for this <laughs> completely human body, right? Not like an iPad. You've been taking music lessons? Yes. With Alex Blade? Yes. Okay. Are you still? Not not recently. We've been both pretty busy. Right. So good. it's been it's been hard, but I have to say like I really enjoyed it. Right. It helped me listen to music differently. You know, where I'm kind of like, "Oh, I see." <laughs> and I've been trying to kind of like blend songs together harmonically for years. And like with the program that we use, it's made it super easy where I don't have to know music theory. Like mm -hmm. it's sort of built into the system where like you understand that this key doesn't go with this key and these two keys do. Yes. But it was great to like learn the basics of it. And, and like I knew some basics, but I feel like Alex was, was great at explaining it to me like I'm five. Okay. <laughs> you know, which is so hard to do, especially yeah. when it comes to music, right? Because it's much more technical than people realize. Well, vocabulary is a huge part of it. And... As you're trying to learn a technical skill and you have to learn the vocabulary, like making the distinctions is good. I'm glad he's a good teacher. Yeah. I'm curious about, I think I've asked you about it in the past. I'm curious about how that works. You use Serato, right? Yeah. Because I've seen the way they label their keys. Right. Like some of them are like 12C. And no, it's only A and B. There's only A and B? Yeah, like A is a minor key and B is a major key. Oh, Oh, then 1 through 12 also makes sense. Right. Because you got 12 the 12 keys, yeah. notes of the chromatic scale, yeah, yeah, 12 yeah. keys. And it's like, I think it's a circle of fourths, the way it's designed. I don't think it's a circle of fifths. Oh, uh, that's interesting. I thought they would just go chromatically. No, yeah. it's like weird. Me, me and Alex like talked about this so much, where we were trying to figure out like why certain keys mix, and I believe it was that they were a fourth apart. So they wanted to kind of like make it super simple. So you're not like that meme where like, with, you know, the beautiful mind meme where you're like picturing yeah. the, the formula. So you don't have time to do that, right? Right. <laughs> I'm glad to know how that works. That makes it much more interesting to me, actually. Yeah. Yeah. In a, obviously, like when people are dancing, you're not looking for 
peace, right? You're just kind of like, I want a certain energy. But it does help to kind of mix in two songs that are harmonically pleasing to the ear. And the person might not know why they're dancing. Like, why did this like juvenile song mix so well with like Natalie and Bruglia? So it's good to be aware of those like similarities, especially when you're playing all kinds of like different styles of music. I've had people come up to me like, how do you know what he's going to play? Right. And that's super difficult. Like, not every musician could do that is what I mean. Okay. And I'm sure you know there are people that are really great at repeating notes that they see on the page. And there are people that are great at coming up with stuff on the fly, what they hear. And that's very hard. And Both are very hard. But yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Both are very hard. But I feel like not knowing what's coming next and being able to make it work is extremely hard. Okay. I don't know if it's like something you have in you, like you feel, or is it just like a lot of practice? I'm not sure. Now yeah. it's been practice. Now it's been, you know. Because I know like you, you and Alex, you'll feel like the transition or you'll feel like the drop without even knowing the song. And like add like the right fill and like add like a riser or like a melody line at the right time. But like, I just feel like, I don't know if maybe because we work together all the time. But no, <laughs> no. So, so there's another thing there too, though. Certainly when I'm doing these, because they are so improvisatory when I'm playing in this capacity, there are permissions granted by the audience, I feel. Like they know it's live yeah. and it doesn't have to, it's, you know, although again, cause we're more discerning. So when I'm making mistakes, I bet that more of them go unnoticed than I think. No, but they like it. I feel like the audience digs that. It makes you human. Yeah. Because there's a live element. Yeah. So there you're, you're allowed to not be the record. Right. You're allowed to right. not be perfect live. Right. However, <laughs> when I'm trying to post videos, and this is a hang-up I've had for a long time, they have to be perfect. Yeah, I'm the same way. If the sound isn't right, if the camera gets too close to me, or you can't really hear me enough, or like something I thought sounded great live because it blended well live, yeah. again, whatever, if it doesn't strike me as, this is the greatest thing I've ever done. <laughs> I can't post it on the internet because I don't think the internet is as forgiving. I don't think Instagram, the video format, it's like, because why would you post it if you're it's not very immediate, happy with it? Right? Like we like the internet culture in general, right? It's like very, like, oh, I don't like that. I'm just going to go yeah. to the next video. But I, I definitely, I'm the same way. Like I don't post a ton of content and I know I probably should, but I find that some of the great things that we do live doesn't translate to the recorded medium even if like i could think of like the greatest party i've ever dj'd and i watched a video from them like the party was great it's a heart that's heartbreaking right you know and that's just like you can't rep and i think we realized that during the pandemic when we were like doing the live streams you're like man this is okay but that's about it <laughs> you know it's not the same by any means and I think that once people were able to party again, they were like, yeah, this this is awesome. Mm. And it's hard to replicate 
that feeling of how you felt. Like I always tell clients that like how you felt at that moment was like that moment's gone, you know, just you can't replicate that exactly. And like that's and that's part of the magic, but that's, you know, for like posting reels or whatever. Yeah. Like it's not the same. Do you have any goals for your career in DJing? And maybe you could start before that with like, have you accomplished any of your goals? Did yeah. you, do you write, do you write them down? Do you no. keep track? You are living your dream. I think you kind of were detailing before, but that's, that's my question. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I've tried to figure out a way to be a good dad and a good entrepreneur at the same time. And it's obviously harder than it looks, but my goal is to remain successful, devote just as much time to family. And I would love to mentor a bunch of guys. I feel like I've been doing here and there, but I'd love to do more of that. I'm raising my hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I, I feel like my experiences with music were like pretty unique. And yeah, I feel like I'd love to mentor more people and just share knowledge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I love the family bit. You, uh, your dad is present in your personality. Yeah. I mean, you as a dad. Yeah. Is yeah. <laughs> okay. That's a lot of what I got. Yeah. You want to wrap it up? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. um, this was great. This was I have great. to say. Alex Edge, where will people, where can people see you, find you, contact you if they need? Baths of Gin, most Fridays. Baths of Gin, yeah. most Fridays. Instagram and SoundCloud, I guess. And like I'll post stuff I do on there. At I am Alex Edge? Yeah. Okay. You can post that link in the Yeah, but you got to say it at the episode. end. You got to say it at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am Alex Edge. And I think SoundCloud is DJ Alex Edge. What's your website? AlexEdge.com. AlexEdge.com. Yeah. Okay. Also right in the description of this episode. <laughs> also, yes. <laughs> Thanks so much, Alex. You're yeah, great man, DJ. it was great. You're a great guy. I had a lot of fun. I'm so glad. We went into some extra innings here. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. The three main tracks you heard on this episode were produced by Alex Edge himself. Any saxophone you heard was recorded by our friend Alex Blade. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and coworkers. Thanks for listening to the Frank's Percussion Podcast. Reach out to me on Instagram at Frank's Percussion. I love you. Frank's Percussion.